This is the Create the Smarts podcast where you will learn to leverage your online following into a profitable, future-proof education business that you control without being at the mercy of sponsors or algorithm changes. Each week we interview the world's leading creators to find out what strategies they use to diversify, stabilize and grow their businesses. I'm your host, Jan van der Aan. Hey everybody, it's your Dutch friend Jan here and you are listening to episode 106 of the Creator Smarts podcast. Well, if you are a loyal fan of this podcast and if you listen to these interviews every single week, you know, of course I do these interviews to, to motivate you, to inspire you, to educate you. But I also can imagine that some of you might have the idea that success comes so easy to all those successful people that I interview, right? And maybe you've been putting in some really hard work for many years and maybe you haven't reached the level of success that you were hoping for. Well, in today's interview, I'm talking to somebody who has struggled for many years to make a good living off YouTube, of content creation, who had to put in lots of hard work, who had to learn about online business, who had to try many different things, but now he has finally reached a level of success where he can make a good amount of money and at the same time live his lifestyle of his dreams but it took him many many years i'm talking about connor klein and connor is the founder of a youtube channel called tsar experience and connor is a big pioneer so in this interview we are really going to talk about um, pioneering in a new niche and figuring out how to monetize your brand now some of the topics that we're going to discuss uh, are the challenges of being a first mover in a new niche um, how to figure out the best way to monetize your channel and what products your customers want or your audience wants um, how to deal with competition uh, what do you do when other people start stealing your work start doing similar things and we're also going to talk about the importance of diversifying and how you can create multiple income streams that's it, ladies and gentlemen. This is going to be a long interview. Connor likes to talk, and that's a good thing because, um, yeah, he's, he's always uh, such good energy on the podcast here. I hope you guys are going to like it. So here's my interview with Connor. Hey, Connor. Welcome back to the Creator Smarts podcast. Um, Connor, this is the second time for you on the show here, but for the people who have not listened to the previous interview with you, can you please give us an introduction of... What did they should do? Yeah, so Jan, excited to be back on your podcast. It was a real blast the first time. I think uh, your listeners got amazing value out of that one. I, I know that you got great feedback about it. So what I do is I help high-level Western men move 3 to 12 months a year to Eastern Europe to 5x their lifestyle. Uh, and I have a YouTube channel, which is my main marketing platform for that. Uh, we've obviously also worked together in large part. You've been helping me along with Ali at certain times, uh, and it's been really productive. We had a lot of obstacles on the way because basically I started out not really knowing what the hell I was doing, and um, it then became an issue of you know building a, a solid audience, and then you know obviously how to monetize that audience and help them, basically. But that obviously presented another set of difficulties that we're going to go into in this. Uh, episode of the podcast and then we had obviously a little bit of problems like most people with covid my my you know basically i'm based in eastern europe uh the original uh model was helping guys come here on a, on a trip and basically have a an amazing experience and also that included 
dating to a certain extent because coming from the from western countries like western europe or countries in the north america in north america uh when the big attraction comes easier in europe as a man is supposedly the better dating options right yeah. so uh i think that will also be interesting for your listeners to hear about you know what is the market what is the niche i'm in and how that can change and how ultimately i'm kind of pioneered a new niche to a certain extent and there's a certain number of reasons that will go into why that was necessary a lot of it was i think ethical uh the existing niches and how they monetize i just didn't feel comfortable with what they provide to their clients i don't think they serve solve the solutions of their clients yeah and um you know i basically in a way had to create a new niche in order to do something i felt ethically comfortable with and actually solving my clients' problems effectively. Uh, yeah, so that's basically what I do is I help, you know, you want to come and live a lifestyle that's, you know, I say 5X, it can be three times better or 10 times better, just depends where you're coming from. I just pick five because it's somewhere in the middle uh, in countries like Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus primarily. But also I have inquiries about Moldova actually a little bit as well. So former yeah. Soviet Union. So I think what people love about these interviews with you is, you know, many people that I talk to on a podcast here, they became successful like out of the blue um, and overnight successful in some cases, millions of subscribers, millions, millions in core sales. I think in your case, it's a bit different, right? Like when you started your YouTube channel, uh, when was that, Connor? When did we start your channel? Because I remember the day uh, you, you launched it or you uploaded your first video with me. It was like seven, oh, seven or eight years ago, right? Yes, yes. Man, I'd almost forgotten. I thought you were going to refer to as uh, our experience. I mean, I, I didn't say that in the intro. Of, my name is Connor Klein. It's our experience. I guess that's probably going to be in the title to the podcast anyways. Yeah. Um, but before that, in a previous life, I was a language learning geek slash freak. <laughs> and uh, the first video I put on my channel was with the famous Jan van der Rae. We were beside the um, windmill in Menlo. <laughs> and here you're from in the Netherlands. And we did actually a pretty good video. A lot of people still like that video where I spoke in 10 languages, a bit about my story and you know, I was super geeky and obviously I'm not in that niche anymore, even though that could be part of the solution I, you know, that I offer to my clients is language because here in uh, Eastern Europe, the level of English is uh, one of the lowest, it's by far the lowest in Europe. And um, yeah, it's on a worldwide level, pretty poor. So you need a language solution. And part of that can be learning yeah. Russian or Ukraine. I'm actually speaking to you today from Kiev in Ukraine. So mm. yeah, that was how it started. It was like about... Eight years ago, I think it was 2013, man. Yeah, what I was trying to say is that, you know, in this last interview that we had, people could hear the hustle, you know, the struggles that you've have, have gone through. Um, because it took you quite a while to find some traction, to make enough money to actually su survive and, and have a quality life uh, yourself. And of course, before you were a lawyer, you always had enough money to do traveling and everything but then when you made that transition of quitting that high-paying job here in brussels and moving to ukraine giving everything or burning the bridges with your with the companies that you that you work for i mean people could feel that challenge that you had and things are going better now i'm, I'm really uh, glad to see that despite covid um yeah. but anyway uh, yeah I, I think people really like to hear about the struggles and how you overcame those struggles. I think the place where you're at today is really has nothing to do with luck. It's all persistence, hard work. 
and that's where you are today. I think that's what what people are going to like about this interview. So let's just get. First of all, have you yeah any anything to say on that? Yeah, clearly hard work. It wasn't an overnight success. I mean, there's always the adage that, you know, after 20 years of hard work, you become an overnight success. I don't think that really applies to me because <laughs> it's been so incremental. Um, we face so many challenges. Um, I didn't start off and have a viral video like other people or um, a series of videos that suddenly got a lot of traction in the YouTube algorithm. I actually have major issues in the main marketing platform uh, that I was demonetized arbitrarily way back when I was doing geeky language videos. I did win because, as you know, I'm a lawyer. And eventually, it's probably my biggest achievement as a lawyer is ironically getting uh, YouTube slash Google to uh, turn back on my AdSense. <laughs> that stage had already gone a different way. Now I seem to be what's known as shadow banned. They basically don't show my videos uh, for the new people more or less for at least nine months. I basically don't grow. This is a common complaint. Um, I... You know, a lot of YouTubers, they feel a bit, I, I, I get the impression they feel entitled to uh, having a business on YouTube and YouTube uh, never censoring them or should be promoting them. I, I don't agree with that. I don't feel like YouTube or Instagram or whatever platform it is owes me a living. That's up to me. Um, and a lot of people, I guess, who do a few viral videos and they get a lot of money, they feel like, oh, I'm amazing. I should be entitled to this. But no, you're not. Go, go set up your own website and try and drive traffic to it. And you'll see what a job YouTube does and how certain people can make a lot of money without having a clue about business, right? They obviously leave 90% of the money on the table yeah. because they're paying, first of all, they're paying YouTube 45%. And all they can do is basically allow YouTube to pitch products they know nothing about to their audience, right? Yeah. And that, that's fine. And you can, obviously, some people are very successful with that. Um, but when I look at many YouTubers, they leave so much money on the table. Yeah, Why? Because they're clueless about business. And that takes a lot of education or you pay someone to do it for you. You do a mix, like you pay someone to teach you to do it, right? Which I think is probably the best. And maybe in the long run, but, you know, it depends. Maybe you just only want to do content creation. You couldn't care about the business. and just You're already paying. Like most YouTubers don't realize or think about it. They are paying 45% of their income to let someone else manage their business. Um, so because they're not educated on business. So I definitely, I put, took a lot of hard work. Uh, it wasn't overnight success. It's, it's incrementally growing all the time. Um, and I focus a lot of my time actually not on content but business learning and thinking about how I can help my clients achieve the results that they're looking for yeah. in an efficient manner. And obviously, because I create that amount of value, I want to be co uh, compensated for it. <laughs> That's what business is, is made on. And I think we can go in a little bit now I'm not sure which point you want to broach it about. The rivals or the, the, the other niches that are slimmer to mine were and the business models that they've employed and why it was problematic for, for you know, when we discussed it, you know, over the last year, especially back about it this time last year. Yeah, so I think one, you know, one of the topics that we can talk about today is uh, pioneering in a new niche, right? Because that's basically what you're doing. Um, if you are a French teacher, it's very obvious what you're going to sell, right? You need to have a beginner course, an intermediate course. You can offer a membership. Um, same thing for cooking. If you have a YouTube channel about cooking, you can sell recipes, cook, cooking books, all that kind of stuff. Your niche is a little bit, uh, it's a little bit more complicated. First of all, you created your own niche, right? So you started yeah. with you started teaching languages. Um, then it was like dating, right? Dating, uh, dating in Eastern Europe, and now you have moved towards. How would you define your niche? I think you just defined it before we started this interview. Uh, well, five xing 
I help Western guys come to Eastern Europe to 5X their lifestyle, basically. Yeah. Um, that's it. I mean, I probably wrote it a little bit sharper earlier because I wrote you a message for what the niche is. Yeah. Uh, but it's high-level Western guys. I help them uh, relocate 3 to 12 months a year in countries like Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus so they can 5X their life. So that's based on three principles. One is the fact that cost of living is a fraction here compared to, say, being in New York. You know, it's going to be, say, 20% of the cost. So obviously, you can, if you're... I don't know. But let's just say you have a lifestyle of uh, one million. Well, you can live a five million dollar lifestyle here yeah. um, with your one million, basically. Uh, yeah. The second one is obviously dating because the women here in on average are better looking, we'll say. Now, there's a whole <laughs> series of complications in the dating process and cultural issues uh, that are major barriers for guys who come here. Uh, that I need to help them with. But in principle, there's more potential if you're a single guy in terms of meeting definitely more beautiful women. I was going to say that's ne that's necessarily going to make you happier in their life, but that is what attracts guys. Guys are, in general, more visual than women are when they look for a partner. There's, you know, women are a little less on that side. Um, so for us, uh, ceteris paribus, there are more attractive women here than you're going to find in other countries, probably yeah. across the globe. And the third thing is freedom um, that appeals, which is... Uh, the fact that, you know, we've seen it with the COVID restrictions and you've often been asking me, how is it possible I'm sitting in a restaurant without a mask? <laughs> That's because, yeah, that hasn't been such a big issue here compared to Western Europe. Uh, most of the EU and North America is obviously in a very lockdown. Or lockdown. It goes deeper than that. I think if you just leave your own culture, you leave a lot of the baggage, a lot of the frustrations that people have in the West. Today, a lot of my clients, they just move here and they don't have to deal with them. So it doesn't necessarily have to be decent in Europe, but that is part of the reason. So that's uh, basically the three pillars in which um, yeah, the niche is based on. Yeah, exactly. So, well, that's your niche. And the big question, of course, was if this is the audience that we're going to focus on and if this is my new niche, then how can I monetize that, right? Like if yep. you have a French course, as I said, you can just sell courses and online courses, of course, is also that you, you know, it's also a proven concept, something that's proven to work in a dating niche, for example. What you're doing is more specific. So at the beginning, when we started this whole adventure, you know, when we started working out or thinking about the ecosystem that we were going to create for your business, we were thinking about mainly about digital courses, right? And you were doing some one-on-one uh, -on -one consultations. Um, I, get, I guess the, the big question here, or could be of, of value for our audience, is how can you figure out which ecosystem you should build for your audience when you are in a new niche? And can you maybe take us on your journey and explain how you went about creating the yeah. right products for, for your avatar? Yeah, because back maybe, we'll say a little bit over a year ago, maybe 18 months ago to two years ago, uh, I was more in the kind of dating niche. That was, I mean, I got a lot of traction on YouTube from videos that were about U Ukrainian girls in particular. So I started that. Now there were two kind of, I mean, I, if you take the dating niche here, there are basically two different models that I target two different types of guys basically to come here. One is what we call the wife hunter. <laughs> it's guys who fly in go to have all these dates set up and matchmakers organizing where they go to what's known as a social space, like a big party where there's like 10 girls for every guy. And they're all supposed to be looking for a Western man to save them, right, and bring them back and whatnot. So you got that side of it. It tends to appeal, not exclusive, but it tends to be to slightly older guys. 
Uh, so we'll say probably 45 plus, not exclusive. Also, guys who are 30 go to those things. Uh, and then on the other side, you have what's been known as the pickup artistry, pickup artist industry, right? Which is normally younger guys who like confidence who can't go and, uh, and maybe talk to a girl and are very frustrated about this. And basically, they get coached by these guys uh, to go and pick up lots of girls, you know, walk around the street all day talking to girls and then get their phone number and presumably go on dates and whatnot. Now, I had people contact me who were looking for both of those kind of services. Yeah. And this presented a problem because I actually took one guy around once and, um, you know, I, 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 I coached him a little bit about how to talk to girls, but not. But man, it was so draining. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, I really didn't enjoy it. And <laughs> when I understood that business model, the, the companies have been really successful at it, I discovered that they don't really solve their clients' problems so much. They basically keep them on a hamster wheel of just buying stuff, but they never actually, in general, get success with women. Mm -hmm. Right? You mean guys uh, that sell courses on, on pickup? On yeah, pick courses on pickups or even the in-person coaching. Once, I mean, their free videos are fine. You just watch them and maybe get some value out of it. I don't think they're worthless, a lot of the leading companies. But uh, we'll say the ones that have been super successful what I notice is that they have recurring clients and they never really solve their problem. And they do, a, you know, it's very good marketing, obviously, to get guys to buy into this. Uh, but it, it, it's just for me, not what I wanted to do. And I didn't find it particularly ethical what the guys had done to make a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, same on the other end with the matchmakers, because it's a huge tradition. Uh, it might have started off in the 90s that these things were legitimate. But then companies became bigger and bigger and they figured out how to get more money and basically sell these older gentlemen from the US, the dream that there's some uh, unicorn of a Ukrainian woman waiting here who just wants to <laughs> be their fucking 1950s stepward wife and go back and live in Bozy, Idaho and just fucking worship them and blah, blah. And she looks like a supermodel and she's 25 and he's 55, fat, bald and can't get a date. Like, it, it's ridiculous, right? And they sell this dream. And you might say, I mean, what I thought is in the beginning, I was a bit naive. I said, well, I just won't do that, right? I'll give a legitimate service in those industries, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I can help guys match. But what I discovered is like from starting to talk, and this is the process, talk to the guys who are on the main list, guys who maybe pay me a small amount of money for some advice because they like my videos, is they didn't want to buy what was actually going to help them. <laughs> So, and you've got this huge marketing behemoths, both for, we say, the younger guys with kind of the pickup industry, uh, glamorizing, oh, they can meet 20 girls a day and sleep with them or whatever, and it's largely bullshit. Uh, and then you have the other end that, of course, they're helping the older guys meet the women of their dreams who will never leave them, like those dastardly American feminists who are awful people, blah, 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 blah. It's all, again, rubbish. And the reason it's rubbish is if you look at the number of Americans who marry say, Ukrainian women, it's minuscule. It's absolutely minuscule, but there is this enormous uh, hundreds of millions of dollars industry around it. So basically, whilst one or two guys do get married, if they just came here and sat in a cafe, you know, eventually, if you have enough people, one or two probably get married here as well. <laughs> so basically, the, the, the success rate of both of those models, to me, appears to be extremely low. Yeah. Right. But because they have huge marketing behind them, when you try to do something that's legitimate, the, these guys are not interested in buying in. Right. So, so it you, wasn't just that I didn't want to do something I thought was ethically improper. Like I, I'm not going to help 98 or 99 percent of my clients. It's like I'm almost none of them will even pay me or buy into it. Right. Yeah. It's not that I offer something better and legitimate and everyone buys in. No, because of the marketing, uh, they won't even buy into that. So 
I started to figure out with some guys who came on, they came on my in-person experience. And I started asking, well, you know, what are you trying to do? How can I help you best? Right. And I realized they weren't looking for either of those. They could talk to women, for example. They weren't coming here expecting that, you know, that there was some, that there's some white knights. They weren't naive. And they actually had a separate, dis, uh, separate set of issues. Now, everyone's a bit different. Other people ask me for this, for this. But then there was kind of these trends about what they were really looking for. Yeah. A lot of them, they actually wanted to relocate here and actually exploit that, yeah. um, you know, the advantages of being here, which were not apparent to very many people yeah, okay. in the past. Yeah, that's really interesting you mentioned that. And now let's mm. just recap, okay? So when we when mm. you picked your new, your, your, your niche like two years ago, which was dating in Eastern, Euro- in, in Eastern Europe back then, we did tons of surveys, right? Out of those surveys, it turns out that we had two groups of people. We had the younger people, and like the, the, the 50 plus guys now for the younger people we were you know we were scanning the market and looking for products that seem to be proven to sell in the market which were basically dating courses right um that's not something that you believed in i mean you you do have a course uh where you talk about some of the etiquettes that people have to take into account when they come to eastern europe um I think what was also interesting is that like the older people, they all said, we are not interested in dating. We don't want to do the work. We just want to come to Eastern Europe and we want you to line up five potential dates for us, right? Um, yeah. That was not something that you wanted to do either. Um, yeah, because what, what happens is that like, okay, you've set up five dates, but if, for most of these guys who don't want to work on themselves, who aren't particularly high value on their local dating market, they come and the scammer or we'll say, even the ones that are not scammers, right? Yeah. The, the, completely. What, what are, what, who can they match them with? They're, right. Think about it. I can match them with someone legitimately, maybe in theory, if I went and spent a lot of work, find a woman who's going to be interested in this guy, 50, 55-year-old, overweight, uh, a short, a poor, I don't know. We'll just try, try and put him as low value as possible, right? And the, the woman here is, is, is not going to be a, a 30-year-old, very attractive woman with a high education. That's just the reality, right? She has better options, right? But what's going to happen is some other agency is going to say, hey, you have to date with this girl. And these guys will pay for the date even if it's, even if the woman isn't scamming them. She's not trying to rob them, but she's just kind of doing it because she's getting, oh, maybe you could say it's scam because you might be getting paid, right? But she's not trying to rob them more than what he's agreed to pay, for example. The, the matchmaker said, hey, you pay his X money, you get five dates. Well, they give you five dates. Yeah. yeah, she is interested in meeting someone from marriage. She's not married or something. She's not interested in this guy. She's been paid to be there, <laughs> yeah. you know? And the problem is they're not going to buy in to that. So that was the big issue we had. They didn't want a dating course. They didn't want to work on themselves, basically. They wanted the five dates set up. But if I offer them what's realistic for them, they're not going to want that because they've been sold a dream by someone else. And for a lot of them, the reality is they're not, I think the bottom line is they're not honest with themselves, right? Yeah. They know most of them deep down that they're the woman that was well, we're not even making a 20 year old supermodel because that's maybe too ridiculous. Right. I yeah. think those I think very few of them are that naive anymore. But we'll say the 30 year old attractive without children. Um, and even though deep down they know this woman is not interested. Yeah. They'll still pay to go on the date. It's mm. sad as it is. Right. And pretend that it's real. Right. Yeah. You know, they, they, they and um, yeah. So this was a big issue. Right. Um, they didn't want to buy. They were. I think it's also important to point out that they were answering my surveys an awful lot, these guys. So they kind of polluted <laughs> the picture we had of who I was trying to help. 
Yeah. Because um, those guys were very frustrated, very vocal. They were answering everything in huge detail, outlining all these pain points. You know, they really could feel their frustration, how upset they were about being scammed by some girl, whatnot. But then you offer the solution, what I genuinely believe is a real solution to get around that or, or avoid those problems. And most of them were just not interested. They were like, oh. Uh, also, when I, just to give you another kind of corally example, a lot of times where I, you know, I did a lot of free calls, you know, when I was setting up the in-person experience. That tell them the price, the price point, right? Mm-hmm. Now, my price at the time was less than a, it's probably about a quarter what I charge today. Yeah. Right? So for me, and, you know, having been a former lawyer <laughs> and having heard people they are, this was not very much money considering the problem I thought I was solving, right? Yeah. But a lot of them, they would have the audacity to say, oh, for that price, where are my five dates lined up? Yeah. Right? They just didn't even get it. It's like, yeah, you can have five dates for that, but they're going to rob you. <laughs> Most of the girls, is that what you want? So, yeah, maybe we're going off a little bit of a tangent because it's very specific to the yeah. niche. But this was the real challenge. It's like, okay, do I try to still help these guys? Yeah. I and think, the, actual, the answer is no, because I don't think they are helpful, helpful yeah. ethically. So but there is a group. There is a group of guys who was being, we weren't really, I think, hearing in the beginning because of all this noise from these very vocal guys who were not going to buy the real solution to the problem that yeah. I could actually give. And it's only when he started to dig down that second, third, fourth iteration and really talking to these very specific guys who had invested in me, come on the in-person experience, uh, maybe invested in one of the courses that I did do because you were talking about courses. Um, you know, what's the, can you sell a digital course? Well, we couldn't sell it very well, but from the guys who did invest and did go in those courses because they had them live with me, uh, there was like maybe a subset of those guys that then I talked in more detail with. Yeah, right? I felt yeah. more of a rapport with them. Yeah. And then I realized, what are their issues? Oh, I didn't think you actually wanted to move here. Oh, yeah. you wanted to spend three months here. Not So, yeah. Yeah, so when a big, you know, you first build an audience, you actually do, already do have quite a big audience, right? 70,000 subscribers on YouTube, yep. I think. And then when you, when you start out, um, when you want to monetize your brand, then a very obvious thing to do is just survey your audience to find out what they want, right? And that's what we did. And it was very interesting because, yeah, 80, 90% of the people said that, well, basically the guys that were interested in going to a marriage agency, right? Yeah. That's what, that's what most of the people were saying. Now, then a business person would say, then you just start your own marriage agency, right? But yeah. that's not what you wanted to do because you didn't believe in the solution. So that was a very frustrating situation. You did have the audience. The audience did have a problem. They already knew what kind of solution that you wanted, but you just <laughs> you didn't you didn't believe in the solution. And we all know that when we like here at Creator Smiles, when we talk about building a business, like we do not just want to build a business for the money, right? We want to build something yeah. that we believe in, um, that's fun, that's that that. Um, that's aligned with our passions and I think that has been a really long journey for you because of of the niche right it's something new like you have to figure out how to make it work and the way that you figure out how to make it work is basically by focusing on laser focusing on on the people who are buying from you and the people who sign up for the in-person experience and trying to figure out what else that they wanted, right? So how do you, how important is it? Obviously very important, but share with our audience how important it is um, 
to talk to to those people who are actually willing to to pay to the buyers well i think you answered your own question <laughs> already on i mean it's the whole reason that i have uh, a successful and growing business is the fact that i listened to them i got on calls with them uh, and um you know when i was thinking of new products having listened very attentively to what the the still existing issues or new issues they had uh, i got them on calls i said hey you know what do you, would you want you know, in this type of program in order for you to invest in it. And they would tell me things I hadn't thought about that hadn't come up. I'd say, okay, I'll put that in or put that in. Or, you know, it's only one person wants this. Is it really that important? Uh, the other guys don't seem that interested in it. Uh, it's vital, basically. And that's, you know, if, if you, you know, I look at other guys, say, with the pickup artist industry, and there's one or two I think they're legitimate. I don't think they're trying to scam the guys. I don't think they're pushing guys on a treadmill without delivering results. I've talked to guys who had maybe invested in a consulting call with me, they went to them and they got value from it. And they explained what they thought was good and what they thought you know, didn't really apply to them. Um, and they were just able to plug into an existing business model, right? Yeah. yeah. In general, they don't make as much money as the big behemoths, right? It's just because they're not willing to be unethical, right? Um, here, because it's like, I think I read a book years ago, it was called something like Blue Oceans and Red Seas. Is that the name of it? It was like, if you go into that Red Sea, right? So this guy plugs into, let's say the pickup artistry industry, or he plugs into the matchmaking, right? There's a lot of competition there. There's people making a lot of money. Um, the big behemoths are spending a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, lot on marketing, right? Bohemians, you know, is just like a huge, huge company, right? Um, and you're the little person coming, plugging in, and you just, you, okay, it's easy. You got the model. And maybe one or two guys or girls who do that, are going to be successful. You don't hear about the other 50, because I see what marriage agencies, because they write to me a lot, and then they kind of disappear. Hmm. Yeah? Because they plug in, and you got a bit of a survivorship bias where maybe one out of 100 pops and actually makes a real business, right? And it's obviously very different if you try to do that uh, uh, blue ocean. You know, you're not in the Red Sea where there's a lot of competition. You create something new, you're the pioneer in it. I guess you can potentially become that behemoth <laughs> in, in the long run. Um, but you got to figure out where it is. And that's a different challenge, right? I'm not yeah. saying it's easy either way. Because if you were talking about the French teacher, for example, well, you know, it's a pretty low barrier to entry to be a, a French teacher on YouTube. Yeah. I mean, you can look at all the previous stuff, and that's great because you have a model to follow, so you don't have to think about that. This works already. It's validated. Plug in, make my videos, try to make them a little bit better than the competition. Uh, but a lot of people do that, and a lot of people don't make any money because, yeah, yeah it's just like it's too easy to do. And you need that certain, certain je ne sais quoi, to use a little bit of French, that certain uh, X factor in order to become, you know, to pop basically and just like go viral or develop the business. It's not so easy because, you know, it's a Red Sea. Uh, if you really go and do something else, maybe it's in the language learning space and it's going to be, I don't know, not teaching them French for moving to France. I don't know. Maybe it's something bizarre, right? It's going to be, you know, take a lot of work in the beginning to make that happen but then maybe you're going to dominate that niche for 20 years we talked about first mover effect right um you know if you think about language learning some of those polyglots you know that we went to the conferences and we were part i mean i was also a polyglot geek <laughs> back in the day right you have um you have some of them were really pioneering right and some of them lived off that original work because they created a new niche 
Uh, like it wasn't obvious to make language learning videos and inspire people, right? Yeah. In the beginning. And some people who did that did make a lot of money. They started a blog. They developed it out into a big business. Um, but they had to do a lot of work in the beginning in order to figure that out. Maybe it took them five years to make any money. Yeah. And then afterwards, boom, their first mover, they're in that niche. Uh, they dominate it for a few years. Even if they don't do anything innovative for uh, you know, the next 10 years, they still make money from it. Yeah. Um, of course, you don't want to be that person who doesn't innovate. And we, we ourselves know, maybe we're not going to say it in this interview, two good examples of someone uh, who had first mover. Actually, both of them more or less have first mover. One continued to innovate and created a multi-million euro a year business and the other basically faded because he failed to uh innovate as much as the other guy the first the the other example um so there there's the the two challenges right one you can plug in but you're going to have the competition the other one you figure out how to develop the niche is going to take you probably a lot longer uh to develop out that business model and figure out how to make money but then you're going to probably dominate that niche for a good bit uh, yeah. of time and then reap the rewards going forward Mm -hmm. What you decide to do afterwards is then a new challenge, and that's probably beyond the remit of today's interview. Yeah. Um, but I think that's probably the better way to look at it. it, it I don't say it's one is better than the other. I mean, if you if you can make money on the existing model, and, and you're one of those people who pops on it, then that's great. But yeah. if you're not, then you probably want to start thinking about how you can distinguish your niche. And it can just be a sub-niche, obviously, of an existing market. Nearly all of them are, anyway. It's no real niche, per mm -hmm. se. It's basically a sub-niche of an existing niche. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that's what I would say on that. So yeah, so when we started with with Langpreneur, right now it's Creator Smart Podcast. When we started this podcast, it was called the Langpreneur Podcast. We were mainly focusing on or talking to helping um, helping language online language entrepreneurs build their business, right? And it's very um, it's very clear what a good ecosystem looks like for. Uh, a language educator now what you're doing is very different could you and we also have many listeners now that are from different niches that are maybe not so easy to monetize in the first place because they haven't been around for so long could you maybe share what your ecosystem looks like uh, nowadays so that our listeners can have an idea of, of what's possible um, especially those who are in other niches so my ecosystem will basically i provide uh, still provide in-person services. Uh, that's obviously been affected drastically by this COVID travel restriction, which basically I, I, I run a Zara experience, uh, which is like an in-situ, you know, on-site uh, experience coming here and basically getting to know uh, the country, uh, the city, specifically Pacific, somewhere in Eastern Europe. Then on top of that, I offer consulting services, so that can be a coaching program over, uh, may say, two months, normally yeah. uh, for the summer to come here also i do con the consulting calls for you know one-to-one -one if they just have specific questions which is going to be normally a half an hour to an hour and then i also have some online programs um which particularly popular is my vip package where i bundle everything together um and that's basically my training for moving here also the dating side um then on top of that i have a few well, obviously i still have adsense there popping away in the background but that's not very relevant, really, yeah. at the end of the day. I, I don't rely on that. That's like a tip jar, a little bit of extra mm -hmm. spending money. And I think there, that's, isn't that all? There's not basically the ecosystem at the moment. Yeah. Mm, there are some other solutions I'm rolling out to help with other problems. Uh, some of that will be courses. Uh, some of that will be coaching. 
uh, and then some of that will be in person. It just depends on the particular solution. So there's definite things. It's not like I've seen a big change, obviously, with COVID. Obviously, it went from 80% in person to now it's like my in person is about 15%, I think. And I developed these online courses that went from Obviously, didn't have them. I, well, actually, we had one that didn't sell, right? We had the stuff that didn't sell before. So it was probably like 5% of my revenue before, and that's be, that had become around 40, 45. And then the consulting has also developed quite a lot recently. That's probably about 20%, and, you know, that's gone up and down a bit, depending on what I was launching. Obviously, yeah. it's relative, right? So there are different ways in the different parts of the ecosystem. Just to finish uh, a point that when I was talking about the niches and stuff, is competition is also something you consider like when you start a new niche uh people are going to try and copy you and that's that's fine right this is this is the nature of uh business world kind of building on someone else anyways right and there's a difference between when people copy your stuff which is basically plagiarize it like they steal your stuff and actually you know repeat it <laughs> and then there's what people they model right what you're doing right so modeling that's kind of they kind of look what you're doing and figure out maybe how to do it better right um what I think is really interesting is we're talking about speaking directly to the to the customers, the paying customers. Like there are people who try to imitate me, which is you know biggest form of flattery. <laughs> it's when people start to imitate your stuff, right? Um, they make no money with it. Bottom line. Yeah. And why? Why is that? Well, they don't attract those people. There, I, I can see what they're doing wrong. Like I don't. I mean. The thing is, I actually even told one of them, like, he needs to do it in a way. He just ignored me because he just thinks Connor makes money with this. I'll do the same. It's like, no, the people who follow you don't follow you for the advice that I give. The, the people, my clients, will never watch your videos. They will never buy. They will never invest in you. So right? There's another that? group. Um, because they, they can't offer. They don't have authority on what, they're talk, what I'm talking about. That's the big thing. They don't live the lifestyle here. They live. Some of them are based here. They live a different type of lifestyle. But everyone can see that. No one's going to be a buffoon and think that they do what I do. Because yeah. they show in their videos, they don't. Hmm. Uh, so I mean, even talk to my existing clients and former clients. Say, well, how, how do you feel about this person? I said, idiot, buffoon. I would never fucking pay them for anything. I wouldn't even watch their videos. They're terrible. They're embarrassment. Never do a video with this guy under any circumstances. Lower your, your authority, right? So... Um, I think, and this goes back to the point of speaking to your audience if you're creating a new niche or following in someone into niche. It's very easy to say, I mean, like for example, we're back in the language learning niche, right? And it was obvious some people were starting to make money. Um, so, you know, I could have just copied the same stuff, even plagiarized it was put on, but I wasn't going to be able to sell it because the people following me weren't interested in the same stuff at the end of the day. They weren't going to buy it from me, that, that solution. Uh, so I think really honing down and speaking to your audience is important. Um, I mean, I don't mind giving that free advice to anyone who's trying to copy in the niche because I'm pretty sure it'd be better for them. <laughs> and they're not, ex you know, they're not going to steal my business. Now, we did have one issue that we discussed with someone that actually, we suspect, plagiarized my premium material and repeated it, uh, you know, for free and stuff like that. But, you know, I see what he's, what they're doing. And, um, yeah, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they just watched a lot of stuff and just turned out to be very similar. I mean, I'm, you know. I have good reasons to suspect that it was that it, it was plagiarism, but you know I see what they're doing at the end of the day, and they do not appeal to the same people. Mm -hmm. They actually don't use my stuff so much anymore. I noticed they stopped doing it. Yeah. Uh, you know the, uh, and I think they realize 
yeah, the stuff that we copied, it doesn't really resonate with our audience because their audience doesn't want that solution. They're, they're attracting the 55 plus delusional guys looking for the, the wife, if you want to know. So obviously saying what I want to say, which is why they wouldn't buy from me in the first place. If you copy it, well, probably it's not going to work very well because they won't buy. So I, I find it fascinating when we dig down into this and you realize that, you know, once you have these standard services, uh, if you're not attracting those people, it's pointless. You're not going to be able to sell them very much. Yeah, I got to figure out what are do the people, what are the issues uh, that maybe the best thing is if you've already faced them yourself, right? And you figured out the solution. Like it took me a long time to figure out most of these solutions. Yeah. Um, so I know how to deliver the result. I understand the obstacles they're facing. And I can lead them on a path to success. And it's, it's very different. Of course, you can try and copy it. But like if you're a guy who's a MGTOW, which is these guys who don't go out and date women because well, they're giving up, you think you're going to date someone successfully to date lots of women. Well, guess what? You're probably not. You can copy and try to repeat everything. You don't really understand it. Yeah. And um, you might get a few people in the door, but probably not going to work as a business. Um, at least not a legitimate business because you can't really understand the real issues and figure out the solutions and the nuances. Uh, as you know, I'm, uh, I'm very close to one of my former clients and you've even been in on the, some of those discussions and uh, just how passionate we discuss everything. And uh, that's the amount of dedication I think it takes to be a pioneer. You've really got to be passionate about it um, if you want to create. Maybe that's the last point. Maybe I don't know how long you want the interview to go on for today. We tend to. You Three know, or four hours is okay. Man, if we had a, a bottle of wine in front of us, it'd be a bottle of vodka. <laughs> it'd probably be a five hour interview and nonstop. But um, yeah, I mean, see, you, you got to be, you know, to be a pioneer. And if you're not passionate about the niche, how can you come up with the new solutions? You've got to wake up every day and be thinking about this stuff. Yeah, more you know, than everybody else. Lawyer. Yeah, more than ever. When I was a lawyer, it was the same thing. I worked with, a, a to be frank, a psychopathic, uh, sociopathic <laughs> partner in the beginning. Um, but I learned a lot from Matt. He never stopped thinking about these clients' problems. He was a maniac. <laughs> he was very unpleasant to work for <laughs> because he was this fucking tense all the time. But man, did he think about the solutions at the high level every day he hung out with these guys. He figured out what, you know, how do we do this? You know, every waking minute. And he made millions. Um, that's as a yeah, that's why he was the best. He was a he was a very, as I said, unpleasant person to work for. <laughs> but I learned at least a lot from him from that. And that passion that he had to be the best. To really care, um, yeah, that, that's if you're pioneering a new niche for me, that's that's really really important. I mean, if you're if you're if you're not passionate about it, then maybe just copy an existing model that's validated and that's pretty broad, because <laughs> then maybe you don't need to be thinking you know nonstop about it. Uh, you can just plug in. But again, yeah. as I already said, then you got the issue of you got a lot of competition. Are you really going to the person who's going to pop? Sometimes, yeah. I mean, that, that mindset that you were just talking about, I mean, that's basically the mindset that you've had over the last five, six, seven years, right? Every time I receive a voice message from you or a WhatsApp, every time we have a conversation, every morning you wake up, you know, when you scroll through your new, uh, through the news feed on, on YouTube, like you're looking at what your competition is doing. Um, you're discussing all these strategies with your previous clients, like it's it's on your mind. 24 24 7 per day right and i think that 
that com- well, how would you describe it commitment passion that's what have you that that's what has brought you where you are today right and it hasn't been easy and you've worked harder for it than the most people i think in in our niche you are successful um yeah i think you did a really good job in in, in summarizing describing that that mindset yeah and even you say watching the 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 competition like because they're in these sub niches right and uh i noticed that they they watch my videos as well right because you know i i i don't make it personal i, I don't care about these people right uh, on a personal level I, I some of them i think i respect them to a certain extent some of them i don't respect at all because i think they don't run a legitimate business fair enough but i watch their stuff and i attack the problem right so they give advice that i think is wrong yeah but i don't care about the individual i'm not going to make it personal and start saying calling this person out by name i think it's irrelevant right i focus on what they're preaching and i point out the flaws of it and what i think is very funny i often wake up And I watched the latest video from, we'll say, a competitor in a sub-niche, because they're not really in the same niche. And they've watched my video, and they get defensive trying to, you know, justify why they gave this advice. So they watch my video, and they know deep down that that they're wrong, right? Or they feel they're wrong, because they don't really legitimate a lot of them. Uh, so it's interesting, um, yeah, to see that. And when I critique stuff, I critique it from the point of view of, like, is this effective? Does this work? Am I in my own thought process Am I completely right? Because I love, as a lawyer, you're always doing like devil's advocate, right? Take the opposite side. Because people have different views and, you know, I'm not, whilst I believe I offer obviously great solutions to my clients, I, I'm not naive enough to think that I'm 100% right all the time. I need to be able to test my assumptions and my advice and develop them. Um, so I'm always looking from the devil's advocate point of view, are they right about it? What's right? I discuss it even with my former clients. We get out of videos back and forth. We nail it down to in this super, super high level, right? Detail level that for most people just go over their head. They wouldn't really understand unless you're doing this every day. But it's that level of dedication and passion that, you know, as a pioneer to push things forward is, yeah. How you, um, how you, I guess, how you do it, really. And mm-hmm. there's other people who I don't agree with. I know they do the same thing, though, or they, they did the same thing in the past. Like a lot of red pillars, it's not it's something I don't agree with very much. They're the movement around them, but a lot of the original literature, it's the same thing. They went through the same process. That's how they developed a niche. That's how they were the early movers. That's why they built business empires around it. Um, and I think maybe that's a subject for another interview in the future. Jan is. Uh, You know, you, 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 you pioneer something and you're super passionate and you develop the solutions and you can stand behind it ethically that this is, you know, a great solution for your client. And then you end up, you know, scaling up the business into an empire. And I think that then becomes a new challenge for a lot of people. Um, you know, you're scaling yeah, it sure. up and there's that group, but how do you keep it ethical? I mean, or do you just abandon that and realize, well, yeah, I can help everybody and make, we'll say half a million a million year or i can be kind of a little bit looser with my ethics and we can have 10 million 20 million a yeah, year I mean, you could have you could have made tens of millions for if you had your own wedding agency probably oh, that's what they were asking me for all these guys <laughs> yeah. they were like and i was like i don't want to do that i think it's i think it's bs <laughs> to be mm. frank yeah. i mean i understand back in the 90s when they started a little bit of this there was no technology You know, people didn't speak, you know, language was initially, it wasn't Google Translate. And there was just a lot of uh, issues. It might have even been legitimate, I think, these kind of matchmakers back in the 90s. Because the economy collapsed here. A lot of women generally just wanted to leave and get the hell out of Ukraine or Russia and get to America, whatever. And they were willing to marry just about any guy. 
it was going to be better than their options here. You know, obviously the economy collapsed. Guys didn't have money. There was alcoholism, uh, theft, lack of security. You know, I was in a place probably very attractive to bring up a family. So I understand that. But the guys who set up these companies, you know, they probably they may have had legitimate businesses in the beginning. And they grew it and made quite a lot of money out of it. But to become that bohemian, as, as I alluded to, could they really stay ethical and build it to $100 million a year? Can you? You know? Well, that's the challenge. Next challenge. <laughs> can we, can, am I going to turn into a, a, a behemoth you discover <laughs> sitting as a fuck out on a Caribbean island in 10 years with well, my, you know, will, we will get you 500 on the million <laughs> that yeah. I made from uh, not delivering the result? I'll be 1% success rate like half of these agencies at the end. No. Uh, obviously, that wasn't, money wasn't my main motivation to get into it i could divorce just being a lawyer obviously i wanted something different in life uh but i think it is an interesting challenge that you know we can discuss um maybe in an interview maybe in two years time when you're gonna I'm have closer. your empire uh well we'll see that's uh obviously you want to keep growing a business and um yeah it's probably involves some pivoting creating pioneering some new niches which is super exciting i have two more questions for you Connor. yep Good. So you, you talk you explain your ecosystem and some of the services that you uh, that you are offering uh, to your clients like how much can a medium-sized YouTube celebrity charge for let's say one-on-one cons- consultation or like a coaching a coaching yep. package just for our audience to have an idea of, of what's possible well at the moment I charge uh, 250 dollars for 30 minutes or 450 dollars for an hour yeah uh, I have a stable we'll say business on that um so that's an example you know have longer coaching programs that are two and a half thousand to i think is if the top one is about five thousand yeah um that's obviously a series of calls that you know there's probably a package in there of around you know five five hours of coach ten to ten hours of coaching depending what it is and obviously i do some other things as part of that that i could also outsource that you know just also minimize my time involvement uh, I think within this niche, since we're discussing what's possible, there is one uh, of the guys who's pioneered, we'll say, he's on, piggybacked on another pioneer within the red pill community. So the red pill community is um, guys who think they've taken the red pill. It comes from the, the analogy comes from um, the film uh, The Matrix, yeah. when you have the blue pill and the red pill, right? So they believe that they've red pill, they understand the nature of women. And, you know, a lot of it, I think it, it's, it's very problematic, the movement around them, because I think it becomes very misogynistic. Uh, towards obviously hatred towards women for a lot of guys who are involved but the original guys that pointed it i read their books a lot of it makes a lot of sense right it's not misogynistic the original uh uh literature now one of the guys he charges about two thousand dollars an hour for personal coaching so that's about four times what i charge so just to give an idea what it could be um now yeah, I have some ethical issues with how he developed out his business to get that, and I'm not sure it's sustainable either. Um, but fine, I mean, this is the potential you could charge. And you know, I've often thought I have that price point probably for the last uh, it's more than six months. I think I'm on that. I mean, I started off just to give maybe people have an idea. I started with a hundred dollars an hour just to see. I had no idea what problems people have, who would pay me. Yeah. So I just said let's just take a round number hundred, and then you know if I'm getting a lot of people then maybe I raised the price point what I found is for me I found I was giving the right person to call enormous amount of value enormous value so 
I mean, the competition actually, by the way, if you were to talk about the matchmakers, some of them do consulting calls as well. And they charge about, I think, where they're charging $75 for 45 minutes. So that's probably about $100 an hour, maybe a little bit more. Yeah. So that's about a quarter what I charge. Mm-hmm. Now, they get a different type of client. They get clients who do not have, I would think, higher level problems. Because I know when I had $100 an hour consultancies, I got their clients. I got those guys really? who were 55 who had been talking to someone girl online. And of course, it's a scam. It's always a scam because the guy already implicitly knows it's a scam. That's why he's paying someone to verify it for him. Yeah. And I even say it on my videos now. I said, listen, if you really want me to look at it, I can look at it. I mean, obviously, I'm going to charge you $450 an hour to look at it. And I, I'm already telling you, I know the result. It's going to be 99.9% that you've been scammed, right? Yeah. Um, but those guys don't contact me anymore. They're, the guys who contact me don't have those issues. They're not getting scammed and been delusional about it. They have higher level problems that they want me to solve. Like, I'm a crypto investor. I have X amount of money. Obviously, crypto fell yesterday. It was like a big day. So probably, maybe I won't get those guys <laughs> for the next month or two. Uh, and I'm trying to figure out my, you know, my... Uh, with, with other specialists, you know, where should it be for tax reasons? What should it be doing for passport reasons? And then they want to know quality of life, right? I, they want my lifestyle, what I show in the videos. Uh, okay, which, like, where should I be doing that? Like, is Eastern Europe the right place for me? And that's a lot of it. And they know that I'm the authority on that topic. Yeah. So they come to me. But they have a higher level issue. They're not someone who's naive, who sent some girl claiming to be in Klimitsky in Ukraine, 400 euros for their, their her English classes when she's actually when he's actually been talking to Igor from Siberia who runs a scam profile on a dating site. Right? So, so the more you so the more you charge, the bigger problems you're gonna get. I think so. When I think well, back so to that, it, you have to I, solve. I should say. Yeah, you know, when I think about when I had 100 dollars an hour, there was one guy who came on and he did invest in my online programs about moving to Ukraine later on. He was an older gentleman as well. Um, and he was shocked that I was only charging hundred dollars an hour. Like he was literally on the phone, like that is extremely reasonable. He was basically, why I only have to pay him hundred dollars an hour for this advice? You know, he wasn't asking me a, a very basic dating question. He wasn't asking me about an online scam, a girl that he'd been dating online, blah blah. blah. He actually wanted to know about moving here, and he thought it was this is <laughs> like uh, ridiculously cheap, hundred dollars an hour to get that information, right? For what he was considering to do. So I think once you price yourself like that, yeah, you get more challenging questions. Like how we work in a law firm is, of course, you know, they, those, those lower level questions they throw to the juniors and then the actual partner comes in and does the real high level stuff, right? So they actually have it segmented in that sense. You know, you hire other people to deal with those lower. I mean, that could be something, you know, that if I wanted to scale the business, uh, I guess in the future could do, employ people to actually handle those kind of more lower value questions like a hundred dollar an hour questions and just you know employ someone to do that who's coached by me that would be one option because uh, obviously time is a scarce resource and i can't be on every call uh and obviously you know i price my time at that um should i i guess that's the question maybe even for your listeners should i be increasing my price to get even higher level questions is there you know what's the at what point do i price myself out of any real um problems that i can solve do I need to push myself to $2,000 an hour like uh, when the Red Pillars does? Yeah, that's it. Uh, do, you know, do I get even higher level questions? Do I get people who are even more higher level? Are, pe- are people very high level put off by a $450 an hour price point? Do they think it's too cheap? Um, that's another interesting question. Like, 
You know, I'll tell you a funny anecdote. When I had a hundred dollars an hour, I, I used to give out my WhatsApp number a lot more freely because obviously I didn't have very many people call me. It wasn't a problem. Um, but I, I wrote him on the WhatsApp, it was $100 an hour. He called me and said, you pay me $100 an hour. And he was so outraged that I would charge him $100 an hour for his particular issue, right? And I said, well, are you going to solve a problem for me that's worth more than $100 for me to have solved? Because if it is, I'll gladly pay you $100 an hour for it. Right. I'll pay yeah. you a hundred bucks if you're going to solve a problem that's worth, you know, the solution is worth a hundred dollars to me. Of course, that's logical. Yeah. That's why I would pay you that. Right. I mean, of course, if there's competition, they'll do for 20. I'll pay the person 20. But, you know, uh, so having the price low, you're still going to people who are going to be irate. I, I find that something that maybe comes up for your other listeners, other entrepreneurs you're helping is that maybe because they had a low price point in the beginning, they feel a bit guilty. Uh, if they suddenly say, you know, it's not $20 an hour for me to teach French anymore. You know, it's now $500 an hour for, you know, some strategy call. And they feel like, yeah, people say, oh, you're so expensive. But you're always going to have people who claim you're expensive, no matter what you charge. Uh, and that's because they don't see the volume. They don't have a problem that's worth spending $100 on to solve. And, um, yeah, maybe... I shouldn't be charging four hundred fifty dollars an hour. Maybe I should be charging two thousand. Maybe yeah. it should be higher. I, I I don't know. But um, maybe some of your listeners will leave some comments with some ideas, even for me. But where's my optimal? You know. Yeah. So the so the, the reason people are not buying from you is not because your product is too expensive. It's that they don't see the value in the product, or they don't have the money. Of course, that's. Uh, yeah. Obviously, people have a budget as well. Everybody has a budget. So you know, it might be a problem that you know, they'll save me 2K, but if I don't actually have the 2K sitting there in cash, then I can't give it to you, right? Yeah. So to solve it, this is, mm-hmm. yeah, this is always an issue, so. Do you, do you have yeah. any recommendations for um, for creators in other niches, so who are not in education, for example? Think about the travel niche, for example. Most people make money with AdSense, some sponsorships, uh, mm. brand deals maybe and are looking for other ways to monetize their brands, maybe by offering coaching programs, consultation, um, maybe selling online courses, but it's less obvious in those niches, right? So do you have any tips or advice for those people who are trying to figure out how to monetize their, their brands? Uh, is your question specific to travel vloggers? Or? Yeah, let's, yeah, well, it's... For you know, because I discussed this with Travelogger who doesn't believe in uh, selling any sort of products, he basically just tries to get as many views as possible and um, monetize it that way. Yeah, and uh, he's pretty resistant to it. And I suggest you know, you need to niche down, you need to figure it out. Um, you know, I've seen other travel vloggers like they, they try to sell to other travel vloggers or filmmakers because they obviously a lot of them have pretty good quality, I think, in terms of uh, filming. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think they're the best, they're not Peter McKinnon. So, you know, it's always a little bit question for me whether that's really what their audience wants. I mean, I watch them, but I don't really watch them for filming. I watch them because of destinations or whatever reason. So if I were to say travel uh, vlogging, yeah, I think you need to talk to your audience. Yeah. Like, what problems do they have? Like, um, this vlogger that I'm thinking about, he went uh, to a less traveled part of Europe and he got great traction there. I loved his videos from there. I think just for the entertainment or the quality it was very well made but i was super interested where he was going i mean i would actually pay him um for consulting about what i should do what I, like i go with my girlfriend maybe to this country for 
two weeks, I want to hit all the highlights. You know, I have disposable income. I don't want to figure it out. I want to make sure she has a good time there. I would jump on. I would pay him. I don't know how much I would pay him. Uh, I'd have to think about it. But I would definitely pay him for co- uh, consulting about where should he go in the region. That's basically what I do yeah. on a higher level, right? Yeah. Um, but I don't know if I'm typical for his audience. Maybe the rest of the guys watching them, they're not interested. Maybe they're interested in something else. Maybe they want to know how to be a digital nomad like he is and travel around all the time. How do they set up their lifestyle to do that, to achieve that within one year? How can they get enough money uh, to be able to live his lifestyle within a year, for example? Yeah. What business? And maybe they're willing to pay 300 bucks for that kind of a course on it even, right? Maybe they're willing to take a course because they think hiring him one-on-one is they don't have the budget. Uh, or they don't want to, they don't see it as that valuable for them. It's kind of a half idea. So I think there's no real substitute for speaking to your audience. Of course, you can try and copy. Like there's uh, there's another big travel YouTuber. Right, let me uh, I'll give, say two things. So there's one big travel YouTuber who does like how to film. That's his product, right? How mm-hmm. to setting up, how to do the marketing behind it. But he's focused a lot on the filming uh, element, right? So. And he claims to sell enough. He said, I'm on his mailing list, so I hear see all these things come in, right? For how much he's doing. He has a pretty low price point, I think, so I'm not so surprised. But, okay, so he sells that. I assume that he spoke to his audience to figure that out. But you could just copy that. You know, you know, he seems like it's validated. He's run three versions of it, I think. So you could do that, and you could just do it better, right? Or uh, you can, like, there's guys I invested in who unfortunately died very tragically while we were doing the program. Uh, it was back as high in life as the YouTube channel. Uh, two great guys from British Columbia, uh, Riker and Alexei, and they were basically the the main energy behind. There were other people involved in their YouTube channel, and they had a program about how to be. First of all, how to be a social media influencer. I was on that. I didn't really enjoy it. They gave me a credit to for the real one I wanted, um, but that's what they did. They started off with a social media because they made a lot of money with social media, apparently, uh, building up Instagram brands. Uh, and they launched that, and then they realized, I think, that that's not really what their audience wanted, like me, because I wrote them and said, hey, you know, it's not really what I, I thought it was, you know, what I need, mm-hmm. but I need this. And they said, yeah, we're actually going to do it. We'll give you credit for the course. Yeah. So don't worry about it. So I upgraded. I mean, I think I paid 500 for the original. I paid another 500 In the second one, it was basically about how to be a travel vlogger. And they didn't deal a lot with the filming, like the technicalities of editing or stuff like that, like the other guy has just said. They're really like... You know, how to model videos, how to develop a brand, how to, um, yeah, how to get the brand deals then afterwards. Um, they dealt with it more from the business point of view. And um, like they sold, there was like about 90 people, I remember, who were in the Facebook group for that first iteration, which they had at a thousand bucks. So I'll assume most people paid full, full price for it, right? Uh, and say they made maybe first only 70K, right? Now you could do the same thing. I don't think anyone's done the same thing since. <laughs> Ironically, well, you know, I see they made money from it. I don't have that audience. Why don't I copy it? I'm a travel vlogger. Because that's what I don't have the same audience as them. Yeah. I could launch that exact course. I mean, I had access to it. I got to fucking download it all and just on the camera repeated it. But guess what? I wouldn't make much money with it. <laughs> yeah. Because so, my audience doesn't want that. Because I spoke to them. And they don't say, we want to know how to be travel vloggers and how to build a brand. Yeah. So maybe um, the key is to create yeah. something just just sell something you think that your audience is going to like and then go from there survey your audience talk to that sorry the buyers talk to them ask what else they want yep. and then just try out you know keep having that conversation and trying out multiple offers every single year and then eventually if you do that for long enough you end up in a place where you found the sweet spot right where you found a product that you 
audience wants and is actually willing to pay for and that's where you are now and then you can exactly. scale up from there and also work backwards right because you you now know that your best clients are often businessmen who are location independent who want to come to the region for a few times per year yes for the ukrainian beauty but also for you know to just um 5x their lifestyle as you said and then you can work backwards and and create your um you know show those elements and and create content create content for for those avatars so around the topics that they are interested in so not only dating but also you know visas um moving to ukraine how to where to hang out where where you should buy an apartment in kiev how to buy an apartment all those kind of topics right so it goes exactly. both ways first figure out what they want and then you work <laughs> yeah yeah because they're going to invest a lot of money if they buy an apartment here and they set up maybe it's not the place for them who's going to be able to advise them who's gone to all of these places being similar like i am to them and also having helped many guys who are similar to them i've seen you know who does better where what the what the advantages of each city are um in terms of price dating the atmosphere the safety uh the return on your investment the business opportunities the legal framework <laughs> how repressive the government is or unoppressive or open the government is does it leave it alone does it come tax um yeah there's just a myriad of issues right um about picking the right city for that person and who are they going to us they need to speak to someone who has that expertise um and that wasn't obvious when i started doing videos about you know five reasons never to date a ukrainian girl which might have got a million views or whatever yeah but you know that's not the solution they want yeah they, you know the those videos got a lot you know i think that's maybe as another point just because a video gets a lot of views in youtube uh don't necessarily think that video is very valuable hmm. to the avatar yeah they might find you through the obviously you have to be discoverable um to a certain point but i think that probably comes later i think you need to build up if i were to say youtube build up actually providing value on a core audience and then you can kind of i guess scale that up a little bit with more discoverable content I had a discussion with someone else about this recently because obviously i'm shadow banned so my audience doesn't grow but i would say the number of subscribers doesn't grow my number of views per month is anemic it's so low but my business continues to grow quite healthily Yeah. Um and I look at the number of people who watch the video in the first day it's just constantly getting more and more and more no matter what the video is. Um but I don't have a video that gets like half a million views within six months. But yeah. those people that 499,990 uh, are never going to be clients. Yeah. <laughs> of those people who, you know watch the half a million view video and um yeah we we going to you know me I go on tangents all the time stream of consciousness but You know, I ask clients, what video made you, yeah. did appeal to you the most to That's invest in? That's a good question, me? yeah. And they say a video, the video comes most a video hardly anyone has ever watched. That's interesting. <laughs> It's a video that at the time when my first clients come, it had like 800 views. Wait, which video was it? <laughs> It's the one about when I was drugged in, um, in Ukraine the, on my first trip. And um, the reason is that several of them had had some instances that were the same, or similar, where they had a big, like, criminal thing happen to either they were robbed, because I also talk about a girl trying to steal my phone in the same, same uh, vodcast. It was one of my very first vodcasts. And so they can relate to the situation. Yeah. And they're, first of all, 
very impressed that I persevered, that I came back. Because maybe it didn't happen to them in Eastern Europe, maybe it happened somewhere else and they just never went back there. <laughs> or they were very skeptical about the place. Uh, but I persevered and I made my time here extremely successful. And obviously I didn't have that ever happen to me again. But if you were to look at the number of views on YouTube, you'd say, well, that's a nothing video. Why did you make it? It only has, I think today, maybe it's got more, maybe it's got to like 2,000 views or something. But a video, even though it's way back in my channel, it's way over two years old, guys still bring it up who are clients. They still bring it up. Like they found that video. So it's still a video that's, you know, I have hundreds of videos on my YouTube channel. <laughs> this one is hidden back in the archive. But <laughs> I, I, maybe I should circulate it to my mailing list section. I'm thinking, no, to do that. You know, this is how my first trips uh, start out because maybe not everyone's even aware of that. You know, you're kind of rely, I'm relying on the YouTube um, suggested part of the algorithm to give that video to potential clients, right? Yeah. And, you know, that's actually something I should work on, maybe like feeding my. My mailing list may be a little bit more content that enough in with that is powerful, that does resonate with them. Yeah. Uh, and obviously they get inspired by that and maybe that tips, the, you know, is the thing that tips them into investing in me or, yeah, or not exactly. investing in me. It's a good idea. So, yeah. But um, yeah, that's another thing because people tend to ask me who are new to YouTube. Oh, like I always get a question from friends who toy with the idea of starting a YouTube channel. Like how, how many subscribers do I need, Connor, to be successful? Like, I'm sure you've had to answer that 5,000 times, Jan. Yeah. Uh, like, how many views do I need? I'm like, that, there's no right answer. I mean, you're not going to like me because you think I'm not telling you the answer. I have the secret number in my head. But it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. It all <laughs> like, depends on the business model, right? If your business yeah. model is AdSense, you're going to need millions of subscribers. Mm -hmm. Or at least a few yeah. hundred thousands. But if I mean, you're it's offering... It's fine if you're um, Harold Balder or um, Ben from Bald and Bankrupt. Yeah, you have like steady stream of, you know, m tens of millions of views coming in there. Yeah. Well, that's going to give you a successful business. Uh, but, you know, I, there's other people I know who have run multi-million euro per year businesses. And they have, at least they had until recently, 20,000 subscribers. Yeah. They, must, they were getting almost no views on their videos. First video was out maybe 1,000 to 2,000 views. But they got a multi-million euro business. They make more money than Harold and, and Ben, even though they're obviously extremely successful, especially recently, right? So, yeah. um it depends. It's like when guys ask me, uh, you know, there's the guys here in obviously my dating niche or sub niche originally. And, you know, they're paying the matchmaker to sub the, the dates. Or they go onto Tinder and they have five scammer girls agree to meet them because they're planning to rob them, right? In reality. Uh, and they tell me, yeah, kind of, I had no problem. I got five dates last time. And my answer is, so fucking what? <laughs> what does that mean? You got robbed five times? Wow, what a great result, right? Or the girls flaked, they never showed up, or you know, they, they, you didn't have any interaction, they weren't a good fit. It's, it's, it's almost irrelevant. So I think yeah. it's a little bit like that with, I mean, obviously if you have a million dates, then probably you probably do well enough eventually. Um, let me just kick this off. Um, yeah, I don't just, know if it broke Just up. for the listeners, so, yeah. Someone someone just turn off his, his camera. We're back, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry, someone I forgot. Uh, because I'm talking to you over the internet, this uh, it's actually my former client who just moved here, mm. so I'm going to meet up with him later. Uh, so probably that's a good indication that I've ranted on on this interview for a good over an hour, I think. At this yeah. stage, what are we up to? An hour and fifteen minutes. That's probably yeah. Good la, 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 that's it's, it's a good time to, to to wrap up. Indeed, what I just wanted to say is indeed, in, to have a successful business, you need three things, right? You need traffic conversion and a product that solves a problem and for some of the youtubers they only have traffic and 
you can you i mean you're, they're still solving a problem because youtube wants to show that advertisements to people right so they're solving that problem and they're getting paid for that but it's it's not much you need millions and millions of views uh, in order to make a living of youtube right depending a bit on on the niche and the cpr but if you if you do have a little bit of traffic but you do have really good conversion copywriting for example you're really good at convincing your people that you are the man to solve their problems and that you have the right solution and you then also can deliver on that and you do have a product or an expensive service that's when you have a business right and you're going for that for that latter business model so just to show what's possible it really depends on what the business is like tomorrow if youtube shut me off they already shadow banned me and uh, they already previously turned me off from monetization. So obviously, I don't depend on them. They shut me tomorrow. It sucks because they may be working for me. But I still have a business. Yeah. I still have that mailing list. I can still speak to my my client keeps calling me. I yeah. need to write him. You're busy, Connor. Yeah. Exactly. This is actually a case in point, uh, Jan. I'm getting called all the time by my, my, by my clients, right? So I still have a business tomorrow. Now, then I have a new solution uh, problem. How do I reach new clients if i'm banned from youtube which i don't really have any reason to think that would happen but think about it if you are just relying on as you said uh solving the problem of your clients indirectly by using advertising for adsense because basically adsense figure out how to solve some of the problems that are not connected normally to your content uh so like we'll take entertainment you know Travel vlogger, people say, oh, very nice. I, I went on this trip for 10 minutes and now someone offers to sell me a car I really need, right? Um, well, you know, if something happens in YouTube algorithm, they shadow ban you and your views drop to 10%. Well, you don't have a business because you weren't solving, directly solving anyone's problem. You were only indirectly facilitating someone else to solve it. Um, same if they ban your channel. Like, what do you do? Um, what do you, you know, do? I think you do. If they, if they well, ban your channel tomorrow. Well, what I do, yeah. I mean, I've got to figure out, well, I have the main list, so I talk to my clients. I ask them, yeah. where are you hanging out? What other things do you use? Think about where are these guys hanging out and spending their time online off YouTube? And then I would go hopefully get an answer about, see a correlation yeah, about yeah, you know yeah. where they're going and then start to try and Referrals, reach them there. another option. Yeah, exactly. But if you're a YouTuber, well, you you don't have a mailing list, you've never talked to your viewers, well, they they close your channel. Yeah, well, how do you even let people know that you uh, that you have a website, you know, everything? Because you can put on a website. Alex Jones is a guy who got banned, for example, off most uh, platforms. But he had a he, he has a website, and he figures out other ways to reach people. Like it, it sucks for him, but he goes on other people's channels and still refers back to his stuff, and I'm yeah. sure it hit him financially, but he still has a business, and he actually has a business around it. So, uh, yeah, I think you deal with... Uh, many people who just, you know, they blow up on YouTube, the money's coming in, it's beyond their wildest dreams because, say, they've had a job before, they're making 2K ads per month, and then suddenly they make 20K as a huge celebrity on YouTube, we'll say, just as an example. Uh, but they're at the mercy of YouTube. Yeah. YouTube turns you off, YouTube bans you because you say one off color comment, and you get like cancelled, you go back to earning your 2K, and you don't have a business, you don't have any idea what to do, you're completely dependent. Mm. Um, so, and you're also been leaving huge amount of money on the table. So I don't care how much you make from entertainment. If you are just purely relying on the AdSense, that should only be at most 20% of your revenue. Most it should be. I don't know if you agree with that. You obviously deal with a lot more clients yeah, instead of, I mean, even if they're making 50 K a month, they should be making 250. 
but just as a ballpark. Exactly, and that's what that's you know those are the amounts that some of the people that we see and we talk to are leaving on the table, right? And yeah. well, I hope that they are all listening to this interview and that they're going <laughs> to start about uh, that they're going to start thinking about ways to generate other income streams. Um, Connor, yeah, man, let's uh, let's wrap up this interview. I mean, it's already the longest interview of this year. Um, <laughs> again, another record for you. Is there <laughs> one last thing, or one last message that you want to share with our audience before we stop the call? Uh, if you're a high-level guy between the ages of 25 and 50, and you listen to this interview and you want a 5x your lifestyle in eastern europe then give me a call and we'll, we'll make it happen no 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 yeah no Not no that's it. an interesting call to action we might actually have a few listeners who are interested in that yeah i hadn't thought okay, about that okay we'll see yeah maybe because you're entrepreneur uh yeah exactly clients. a lot that's of them a will probably fit into that that kind of uh um demographic so yeah, definitely Jan has only been over, you know, you, last time you were over at me here in Ukraine was a couple of years ago, but you get to vicariously live a little bit of the Zara lifestyle, Zara experience uh, <laughs> through my posts and through our, you know, little clips that we, we share with each other. So uh, I guess I can rely on you as a, a little partial testimonial as to the quality of my quality of life. Yeah, come on, that's stuff. Ukraine. Uh, well, I'm actually in Ukraine at the moment because of COVID. I've been here for a year. Uh, so I would say that, yeah, uh, for the rest of your listeners, definitely speak to your audience and if you're a big youtuber and you're making 50k a month but you don't have a plan about what to do if they turn off your adsense tomorrow yeah you need you need to you need to figure it out you need to figure out a turn into real business and obviously uh uh guys like jan are a good place to start I mean, he's helped me a good bit so i'll give you a uh, that kind of recommendation at the end. And, there, Jan. and if you want <laughs> Connor's help, then just uh, go and find him on Instagram at Tsar Experience, right? Yeah, I spell it British. I normally only write in American English, but for Zara, I have a T-S-A-R Experience. Uh, it's also my website, ZaraExperience.com. Obviously, on YouTube, you can find me, Zara Experience, or you can find me with my name, Connor Klein. I don't use a pseudonym online. It's my real name. I'm always amused by a lot of the dodgy people uh not not all the dodgy people some dodgy people actually online do use the real name as well but uh, a lot of them use pseudonyms and you're always digging deep ah you, they didn't want you to find this about them but that's interesting i know that they're bankrupt <laughs> i know that they ran this uh, scam in the past uh i knew that they, they used to work places a call girl yeah yeah no wonder they changed their name but you can find me with my name c-o-n-o-r-c-l-y-n-e and uh yeah that's all I'm going to do. I'm going to wrap up. I guess I'm going to go meet my client. Uh, he's a former client of mine. He moved to Kiev. I'm actually just helping him now with the move. <laughs> and um, yeah, he's been calling me twice already. So probably a good uh, okay, man. A proof about wh where, the, where the real business is at. <laughs> it's right. off, off YouTube. Enjoy right, your rest of the day, Connor. Thank you. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye from Ukraine. Bye-bye. Alright, thanks for listening to this episode and if you like this episode then please give it a positive rating in whatever podcast app that you're using and if you want to listen to other interviews or just learn more about what we do then make sure to go to our website creatorsmart.com. See you on the next episode. Ciao.